Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, startup founders, and tech people who are sick of marketing bullshit. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. And so most of us, most, uh, most of people in general, don't know how to make sense of the web, website data they get uh, from Google Analytics or from other systems. And most of us are overwhelmed Uh, by the amount of data we get and most of us and most organizations uh, kind of function in a vacuum where departments and teams have their own data and they really struggle to communicate that and share that across the team to, to, uh, to take decisions. Um, but as users, as people, we don't want reports or data. We want insight. We want to know what to do with this data. We want to know what decisions to make. And this is where this episode is going to be helpful. Because in this episode, we're going to go through and talk about how to turn data into insights you can actually use, how to spot problems on your website or on your web environment, uh, where to focus your attention on your funnel, how to score your leads and, and people so that you know uh, what to focus on, and so on. So my guest today is Adam Greco. Uh, he is a web analytics expert. He worked for companies like Omniture and Salesforce.com. He's also a very uh, prominent member of the web analytics community and is probably one of the best person to talk about this particular subject. As usual, this episode is very practical. You should be able to implement things uh, in your business, in your company, in your side projects pretty much straight away. Um, so have a listen and let me know what you think. Right, Adam, what a pleasure to have you uh, on the show. So here's a typical situation, right? Um, a company has a website and they have Google Analytics set up. They maybe have, uh, have Hotjar or something uh, around those lines, you know, set up on their website as well. If they are, if it's a company that is quite big and, and sell a, an advanced product, they might have other stack on top of it, maybe, you know, uh, Adobe uh, products or anything like this for, for analytics. But regardless of that, it seems like the normal process is they collect data, they report on it, and then that's pretty much it, right? So why is that? Yeah, I think a lot of people don't really understand the goal of web analytics. And sometimes it's because it's being driven by tech people versus business people. But at the end of the day, the real overarching goal of web analytics is to provide you directional di directional guidance on what's happening on your website so that you can make better decisions and then you can improve your conversion rates, whatever that is. If you're an e-commerce site, that's obvious. If you're not an e-commerce site, that, that might be a little bit trickier to figure out. But I think people start too often with just Here's a bunch of data that I have on the page and here's all this information. So I'm just going to collect this data and hope that maybe someone's going to use it. And that's kind of like looking for a needle in a haystack and not something I recommend. So here is the problem we're going to try to, to address in this episode is that most people don't understand how to make sense out of the data out there. As you said, they're in a vacuum. And what turns out is like, Users don't want reports, right? They want insights, as you said. They want insight on, on, on how to, to increase conversion rates. So let's try to solve this problem right now. And what I'm going to challenge you to do is really to try to come up with a step-by-step -step methodology, something that people can take away and apply in their business regardless of their size. So we'll answer the question, how to use data strategically to gain insights. That's basically the solution we're going to try to lay out together right now. So what will be the step one of this process of this, of this scenario? Okay. So the way I would recommend just if you work at a company and you're not sure if you're really getting the most out of web analytics, step one is what I call, uh, for those of you who've seen the matrix, um, I call it the, there is no spoon exercise. So what I recommend people do is pretend that your website just disappeared. It was nuked. It just, the server went down and it doesn't exist. And you have to go to your boss and you've got to justify a huge amount of money. Let's say it's 10 million euros to build a website. 
And imagine your boss is kind of like my father-in-law, who's an old curmudgeon who thinks the internet is just a fad. And you have to convince this boss to say, we're going to spend $10 million. And, and they say, why do we need a website anyway? So if you take a step back, that forces you to say, why does our website exist at all? Why do we even have a website? And if you then say, well, our website allows, let's say you're a B2B company like Hotjar or, or where I used to work, salesforce.com. And you have to go to David at Hotjar and say, we need a website. He would say, well, what is it going to do for us? And you'd say, well, one thing, we could actually show people our products 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we don't have to always be awake or have people around the clock. And David says, okay, that's cool. Let's definitely do that. But how are you going to prove to me that our website is actually teaching people about our products 24-7? So you would then have a KPI. And you would say, well, we're going to have a KPI called product views. And then we can break it down by which features or which products they're looking at. And so now you've got your first kind of business case and your first KPI that you can then measure to see how the website is performing. And you just kind of repeat that for all of the things. And I have found when I work with companies large and small that their implementation has been handed down over and over from people to people. And they sometimes lose sight of the forest for the trees. And if you force them to use kind of the spoon exercise to say, why does our website begin? You can get back to why you originally even paid for a web analytics tool to begin with. I, I really hope that your stepdad doesn't listen to podcasts either, right? <laughs> no way. No good. way. <laughs> okay. So we can, we can talk about him. Uh, it's a good outlet for you, I suppose. Um, yeah. Right. So I, I very much like this step one, and I'm not saying that just for the sake of it, but I think it is probably one of the best way to explain this concept of picking the right KPIs and knowing why you're doing what you're doing ever. Uh, I've, I don't think I've listened to a better explanation than this for this particular subject. So it's really nice to, to have this analogy. All right. So let's say now we know why we have a website and we kind of know what type of numbers we want to track. What, what is the next step? Okay. So now the next step, and I'll, I, I won't get too technical here, but obviously uh, with web analytics, you've got to work with your developers and you need to basically put some code on your site where you're going to start collecting data. And let's imagine that's happened for a couple weeks. Well, now what you want to do is you need to dig into that data and say, you know, what trends do I see? Where do I see people dropping off of key paths? Uh, where are my metrics pretty consistent? Are they not consistent? And that's when you start doing your actual analysis. And a lot of that will have to do with segmentation, where you want to look at how do first-time visitors act differently than return visitors. And basically, the goal of your second phase is to say, is there anything that I can find that is really interesting that I want to dig into more? Um, you're not going to solve it, but you're going to basically just look for, think of it as looking for fires that maybe you could start putting out. And the key with web analytics, and this is where some people misunderstand web analytics, web analytics is not going to tell you why your website sucks or why you're having problems. It is there to be like an early warning detection system to say, hey, of all the places you can look, look over here and look over here because the data is suggesting there may be a problem. And that's all you want to do out of step two is find out where your problems are. And then I'll kind of go into later when we get to the further step, how do you actually diagnose it? But that's kind of step two. All right. So let's dig into the, the problem itself on the step two. So you mentioned a few ways to, 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 to quickly know whether there is a problem in the first place. So what are the typical ways? Let's say, let's take a simple example. You have Google Analytics set up on an e-commerce website, right? Probably one of the simplest thing to, uh, to set up. And obviously the end goal is a purchase. Uh, yep. you might have tracking on the funnel of each step, each step of the funnel. What, what is the usual kind of exercise or things you look at to, to, to see whether there is a problem? Yeah, I mean, that it's different for every site. But if we use e-commerce as an example, um, everyone has different approaches of how they go about it. I can tell you how I do it. I always like to start at the money. You know, that's what people care about. Where, where am I making money? Where am I losing money? So, for example, I will start at 
the purchase and that pages around the purchase and the funnel and say of all the people that are not purchasing, how many are making it to the step right before the purchase, which is usually the checkout. And there, right even in that one thing, you could probably spend a couple months just trying to figure out where are people dropping off for certain products, for other products that are doing okay. Where are the marketing channels having an impact on the conversion? Are people from SEO converting from the checkout to the purchase more like more often than people from paid search or display? But then you kind of take it a little further back and say, of all the people who add products to cart, how often are they making it to checkout and then making it to purchase? And so I kind of think of it as concentric circles with your dollar signs or euro signs in the middle. And as you branch out in concentric circles, the amount of impact you can have decreases because you want to really focus on the people who are telling you they want your product. They've made it all the way to checkout, but they're not converting. And then do some, you know, A-B testing. Maybe you try some different kind of conversion funnels and so on. But I like to focus really on the basics there and then work my way backwards. Uh, obviously, you know, cart, a lot of clients, what's funny, if you use a normal Google Analytics implementation, just as an example of how people screw this up, you will normally track how many people put a product in the cart and they'll track it with a product ID and a cart ad, and then they can see which products make it to checkout and purchase. But one of the things that not many people do is even track something as simple as how much money is being added to the cart by product. And what's really cool is I've learned over the years that if you go to an executive and you say, our cart ad to purchase ratio is only 2%, they'll say, wow, that's okay, You know, we need to make that better. But if you go to them and say, hey, we actually had 10 million euros added to the cart and we only sold 1 million, they will freak out. They'll say, wait a minute, we're leaving 9 million on the table here. And even though that may be the same 2% conversion rate you just told them, they will snap into action when they think they're missing out on 9 million euros versus a stupid percentage that doesn't really mean anything in, out of context. And this is a great tip, right? And, and let's, let's do a parenthesis here about how to convince your boss or, or, or your managers to, to act. This is pretty much exactly what you said. Instead of using numbers that are very complicated and even percentage, People don't really understand what percentage is if you dig in, into it in more detail. And it's always better to talk about, as you said, monetary value, actual amount of money or stories. So what's also interesting is sometimes to just isolate a particular case of a particular person, an actual person who went through the process and struggled and, and tell this story, tell her story. And that will also light up, that will also help people to really understand that there is an issue, right? So I, yeah. I very much like this approach. But let's take a step back because you, you, you mentioned a few things that seems, you know, obviously trivial to you because you're the expert, I'm not. But I want to dig into something specific. So you said you focus on the end goal, right? For an e-commerce site, it would be like the purchase. For a SaaS website, it might very well be the first you know, subscription, the first time they subscribe, right? And then you take a step back, just a step before, and you try to see how many people have actually completed this step before moving on. Um, and then you mentioned segmentation. So you said, you know, traffic, uh, uh, you know, segmenting by traffic type, segmenting by, by profiles. What are the typ typical segmentation that you would recommend companies to use in order to, to isolate a problem and to see if there's a problem? Yeah, I mean, the common ones that I see people use are the ones you just mentioned, you know, how are they finding us? Is it a paid or is it more of an earned, you know, visit to the site? Um, how many visits have they had so far? How long is it taking them to convert? Is this their first time? Is it their fifth time? Um, I also think that nowadays, because people are working with multiple devices, your oh, another segmentation might be, are they on an iPad? Are they on a phone um, because maybe you don't have as good of an experience on a mobile device as you do on a desktop site. So that's another thing that people would look at. And then there's a whole world of segmentation around, do you know who these people are? Some websites, they actually know people. If you're a banking site, you can't really do much on the site without having logged in. So if you know who the person is, that gives you a whole world of CRM data that you can integrate with your web analytics tool to segment on gender, age. 
But for most people, we don't have that information. And that's going to get even worse because of uh, the GDPR stuff that's happening, especially in Europe. So a lot of it is more anonymous things. But one thing that I will tell you that's a little more advanced that I love to help clients do is is segment on what I call visitor engagement. And the way this works is that if you have people coming to your site multiple times, you may not know who they are, but you can actually score them based on the actions that they've had. So let's just imagine, for example, I'll use uh, Hotjar as an example. Someone comes to the Hotjar website uh, first time and they look at a product. You might say, okay, they looked at a couple of the Hotjar features. So they have a, a really high score for, say, uh, screen, you know, heat maps and recordings, but they have a really low score for some of the other features of the product like uh, polls. So in that case, you can now look at people and narrow down your conversion of people starting a trial based on which things they've looked at. And their score, if they come multiple times, you can keep adding to their score and you could even make it numeric. You can say this person has a score of 75 because they've been here multiple times. They've clicked on our pricing page, which means they're really interested. So let's jack up that score by 10, 15 points. And then at the time that they submit a trial, you could actually document what was their website score and you could segment to see if people with different scores converted different rates. And a perfect example of this um, is kind of fun from my time at Salesforce.com. As you probably know, salespeople hate marketers more than anybody. Um, oftentimes in the B2B world, the salespeople say, we do all the work and the marketers give us crappy leads. And then the marketers say, we have great leads and the salespeople don't know how to sell it. So at Salesforce.com, we had that dynamic where salespeople hated marketing. And we did this type of scoring. And we said, every time a lead form is submitted on Salesforce.com, we passed their website score into our CRM. And then I looked at two weeks of data from our sales team and figured out when the salespeople called prospects, how often did they get hung up on and said, you know, you're, you're, spam, you're spamming me, don't ever call me again. And I looked at the scores there and it turned out that anyone that had a score of under 50 basically got hung up on. And if they were over 50, they were much more receptive. So what we were what we were able to learn there is that if we stop calling people right away and let them nurture a little bit, then they were much more open to a conversation. And so we used score-based segmentation to hire way fewer salespeople. And we were able to get the same number of deals with a lot less salespeople by just looking at their website engagement. This is a fantastic tip. I, I know it's quite advanced, but this is the type of stuff that you wouldn't really think of on your own. Uh, that sounds really good. And it makes sense. I mean, let's say I go to a supermarket and there is this, you know, this annoying salespeople trying to sell you stuff. And they just, you go there and this person say, hey, you're on to, to this holiday in Spain. And they ask you straight away to purchase from it. You're way, way, way less likely to do so than if you receive a brochure in the post or emails or if you have previous relationship with the company. And yes, the last touch point is with this salesperson that you actually know in the supermarket. So you wouldn't do that in real life, yet we do that online quite a lot. We expect people to just be convinced straight away and be like, oh, oh my God, this website is so good. I want to have a call with somebody straight away and, and buy your product. It never happens. Yeah, a good analogy I'll give you is uh, that I use sometimes is if you walk in, if you're single and you walk into a bar, you don't normally walk up to a person and say, hi, my name is Adam. Uh, my place is right around the corner. Let's go. Uh, it just doesn't work that way. You know, you have to kind of get to know someone, you talk and you date and, and marketing is the same way. But sometimes marketers, they try to close the deal way too early. Absolutely. So treat people the, the way you'd like uh, to be treated, basically. Um, so I want to dig in into a more basic stuff. Um, you mentioned, so segmenting, let's say your traffic type. So let's say we want to compare organic traffic performance versus paid traffic. How would you typically spot a problem whereby, for example, paid traffic is not performing well compared to organic? What's the typical way to, to, to see that? Yeah, mostly what you would do is open up your key reports in your analytics tool and do two things. One is you would um, create path reports that show you the flows that people are taking for group A, which are your paid 
and then group B are, are your non-paid and look to see where they're dropping off and, and see what's going on there. And then your other ones is your other reports is you would look at your standard conversion reports. Like, for example, if I'm an e-commerce site, I might look at what is my look to book ratio, which is defined as how many people looked at my product and bought it and then be able to break that down by paid versus organic and then within paid and organic you can then break it down even you know more granularly to see by keyword by campaign code and so on and so you might see that people from twitter tend to do better than people come from facebook and so on so it's just a matter of looking at your conversions and splitting it out but this gets to kind of the the other point that we mentioned earlier is that your web analytics tool is really just there to tell you where you might have problems. But I actually think that very few people get to what I call phase three, which is the most important part, which is why? Why are they not converting? Why are, the, we, do, are we having problems on our website? And that's where you have to get out of Google Analytics and you have to get out of Adobe Analytics and move into other tools that can give you a kind of the bigger picture. And, you know, that's where, you know, the click tails, the hot jars um, of the world are able to add more kind of color to the situation because you can take the problem you've identified and then you can ask people, why are they having this problem? So, for example, if you see that you only get if you're a if you're Salesforce.com and you see that you have 20 percent of the people who view a form complete it. But why are the other 80 percent not completing a form? Well, you could look at web analytics data all day long. It's not going to really help you. Or you could actually ask people who are on the form and don't complete it and say, can you explain to me why you didn't fill out this form and get some real answers from real people? And that's how you can make a huge step change in your conversion rates versus looking at, you know, numbers all day long. So let's take a typical example. Let's say that I've noticed that people from organic search are actually converting twice as much as people coming from AdWords and paid traffic, right? And let's say we have a simple e-commerce store that, that you know, and, and the thing we are tracking is the purchase, right? So those, those people convert twice as much. How do you find out why those paid traffic visitors are not converting? Like in, in typical, uh, you know, practical term. Yeah, and, and that's hard. It's, there's not an easy answer. I mean, you have to kind of look at all of the attributes that you have combined, you know, the visit number, how long they've been there, um, what content on the website that they've read, um, and does that have an impact on conversion? So there's no great, you know, silver bullet. I think one of the, the things that people have been waiting for in the web analytics space for a long time is the addition of machine learning and artificial intelligence, where you can collect a lot of data and actually have your analytics tools tell you the answer and say, it looks like this is the problem. And Adobe's trying to get into this area. Um, a lot of other companies are, are playing in this area where they're basically saying, export all of your web analytics data and let machine learning kind of go crazy on it and point out things. Uh, there's one funny story that happened here in the U.S., where uh, it's a famous story with Target, uh, the re uh, a retailer here, where there was a a, um, a teenage girl that was surfing on Target's website and looking at a lot of things. Um, and her in the mail, she got some sort of an advertisement. I don't know. I could, can't remember all the details. Selling stuff for people who are pregnant with babies. And her father got this in the mail and got really upset and started kind of yelling at Target and said, why are you sending stuff to my teenage daughter? And it turned out that his daughter was pregnant and he didn't actually know it. But the machine learning that Target was using had actually figured out by the things that she was looking at on the website that she was pregnant and they knew that she was pregnant before her father did. And so that's kind of the power of machine learning that people are looking forward to, even though it's a little bit scary at times. I did read this story. I don't remember from which book, but uh, I, I remember reading it. Um, it's pretty intense. And I think we're going to have to find ways to to prevent, you know, this type of intelligence to go too much into into the intelligence side of things. Uh, I, th I think, as you said, with GDPR and the privacy uh, concerns that is there. I think personalization needs to find a 
a common ground, some, somewhere where we don't stalk people, uh, but we still provide value. Uh, we'll see where that goes. So yeah. anyway, in a perfect world, we'll have an analytics tool that tells us what's wrong, right? Um, yeah. How do you get to the why? Yeah, so that's where, you know, I think the why is more about asking questions to people. And that can be done through the old fashioned ways of, of focus groups. Or, you know, nowadays, you know, there's so many tools out there, as you're familiar with, you know, Hotjar and others, where you can actually watch people using your website, almost like a TiVo for your website. But doing those tools, I think are really, they're really powerful. But I also think that they can be problematic if you don't combine them with your web analytics tool. So for example, what I really like to do is say, I, I've identified a problem and here is a segment of visitors. Let's say it's people who add over $300 to the shopping cart in this month, but didn't purchase. I don't want to really go look at Hotjar and look at a thousand recordings. I mean, that would be, that would take forever. But if I could actually say, you know what, there's actually only 50 cases where this happened this month, but that's $300 is a lot for our site. So I would like to watch a bunch of just those recordings. And that's where it's really cool when you can combine the best of both worlds to say the web analytics tool has found the problem. Now we're going to go watch the recordings and see if we could identify what the issue is. Now, watching a bunch of recordings can sometimes tell you, sometimes it can't. So you might have to do a little more that says, okay, we think the problem might be this. So now we're going to pop up to maybe 10% or 20% of our users and say, is this, you know, A, B, C, or D? What are the reasons why you're not purchasing this product or, you know, what might be going on? And you can survey them and, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, don't like getting pop-ups, but I've actually found that, you know, if you do it the right way, um, you, you know, you can't be as, as you say, on the dark side of marketing, there's a way you could do it and still be on the light side, uh, by just, you know, not abusing it and really being focused on the questions you're trying to ask and when you ask them. I, I, I like this idea because we tend to really drown into the sea of data out there. You know, if you watch session recordings and if you look at heat maps and, and all of that, if you don't really know why you're looking at those, at this data, it's very difficult to make sense out of it. So start with the what, identify the biggest problems and then understand why uh, it's going on. I very much like that. Is there any step after uh, this step uh, that you would recommend listeners to use? Yeah, I think when you get more advanced with analytics, um, I would say the next step is to really go deep on testing and personalization. So there's great tools. Um, Google has tools. Adobe has tools. Most people are using um, Optimizely is a great testing tool where you can then say, we know we have a problem in this general area. We've gotten some feedback from people. But now we want to test a different version of this page or we want to actually test a whole different conversion funnel. So, for example, I had one retail client who said we want to understand if if guest checkout is good or bad. And maybe if we add PayPal, if that will really help our conversion rates. And so what they did is they kind of did some A-B testing of different flows. And they would say, if we ask people for less information, do we get more people through? And so I think testing is kind of the the way, where a lot of this gets paid off in, in the end. And the the analogy that I give, and this actually I'm, I steal this a little bit from one of your past guests, uh, Seth Godin. Seth Godin has this great expression where he says, "In marketing, you should always strive to be a thermostat instead of a thermometer." And the way that I apply that to web analytics is, if you're just looking at data and just looking at reports. You're basically a thermometer. You're telling the temperature of what happened today, what happened yesterday. But to really be a good marketer, you want to be a thermostat where you're basically pulling different levers to change the future. And so if you do analytics, you can understand what's happening. But until you really start doing testing and say, I'm going to change something on the site and then I'm going to see the financial impact of that, you're really just a boring thermometer. And so I love when people change things on the site because of data. And the scary truth that not many vendors want to talk about in the analytics space is that you actually get zero ROI from web analytics, both the tool, the people, all the time you spend, if you never make a change on your website based on the data. 
if you just report on stuff, then basically you've just made web analytics an expense of your company. And it's just like a cell phone. It's just like a computer, you know, except you can't really depreciate it as much. But if you actually use the data to make a significant bunch of changes on your website, and then you can see the impact of that, now you have ROI. And I push my best clients to be able to say, even if we pay a million dollars a year to Adobe or Google for our analytics tool, we can prove that we've actually generated two or three million dollars worth of savings or incremental revenue by using those tools. But I am shocked at how many people throw up their arms and just say, you know what, web analytics is an expense and it's just something we have to do. And, and that's a shame. That's not how it should be. It's a great way to, to end this section of the interview. Uh, I love this saying by Seth Godin. I actually hadn't heard it before. Um, so it's quite nice to end up this step by step. Thank you so much for taking the time to go through it in detail. I think it's going to be really helpful. Um, so Adam, I think you've proved that you are quite an influencer. I'm only messing with you. Um, <laughs> you, you are a very well-known uh, person in the, the web analytics community and beyond that in digital marketing community. As you said, you're a web analytics consultant and you have years and years of experience for, for companies like Salesforce.com. You're also in the board of directors of the Digital Analytics Association uh, and you now serve as their treasurer. So I'm sure you can tell us a lot about good case studies and, and very, very like, you know, successful clients uh, that you helped um, to, to grow their business. But I, what I'm interested in hearing from you today is actually a fuck up. So I'd like to hear from you. You don't have to tell the name of the clients, right? But one of the biggest fuck up you've made as a consultant and, and what happened and, and why did it happen and what did you learn from it? Okay. Um, well, I would say the I, it's kind of on a borderline fuck up. Um, but when I was at salesforce.com, uh, we had an age old debate and, um, the debate was, do we put forms in front of everything that we do on our website in order to get a demo of the product? You had to fill out a form. If you want to do a free trial, you had to fill out a form. And the number one feedback that we got from salesforce.com net promoter score, everything was, we like you but we hate that we have to fill out a form to get everything. And that's so old school. And so me and a couple other people were really big on this idea of let's get rid of the forms. And we think this would be a better experience. And that means that people will um, use our product in a free trial. They'll do demos. They'll tell their friends. And in the long run, we'll be better. But that was a really risky endeavor. So how do we test that? So we went through a very elaborate test to basically say, we're going to take 10% of the people who come to our website and we're going to cookie them and we're going to let them not see a form in order to do a demo and a free trial. And we kind of documented those people and then waited a couple months to see what happened. And we were so hopeful and so optimistic. And in the end, the people who who filled out the forms converted so much more the salespeople were able to call them and you know harass them to the point where they actually bought salesforce.com and the people who didn't see the form a lot of them we couldn't track in the next three to six months that they had come back and proved that they had eventually joined and you know our team was really hopeful that we could make our website experience better by not having to have these forms but at the end of the day we were wrong and the truth is, is that you can't be a believer in data and believer in web analytics and say, well, the data doesn't show this, but I still think this is right. So let's still get rid of the forms. And so I had to kind of eat a, you know, a little bit of humble pie and go back and say, you know what, you, you know, you live by data, you die by data. Um, in this case, we had to stick with the forms. Now, I still in the back of my mind believe that if you look at a longer horizon of a couple years, maybe we would have been better to get rid of the forms and maybe we would have gotten more word of mouth and it would have been more um, kind of like, uh, you know, the, some of the freemium models like Hotjar and others use. But it was a really difficult thing to prove in analytics and it frustrated me to no end because you just and that's the other lesson that I kind of learned is you can't get emotional about your decisions um, sometimes you have to go with, you know, what the data is telling you, um, and it may not go your way. 
Thanks for sharing this. Uh, if that's your biggest fuck up, then you had a pretty good career so far. But uh, the point here that you're making is a very interesting one. And I like to start on it. And I hadn't prepared for that, but we can improvise as usual. Um, I believe that you can't measure everything in marketing. And this is, I think, one of the mistakes that we do if we try to measure everything. Um, one of my past guests, uh, DHH from Basecamp, uh, talked about this quite a lot. He was talking about retargeting and the fact that people were getting so caught up in the fact that, you know, oh, it takes only $5.67 on average to get this new client on board. He was making a point that, you know, retargeting is only the last touch, but there are a lot of other touches that you can't necessarily measure well. And therefore, you can't just say that, you know, obviously uh, that retargeting was responsible for creating this client. Um, so in your example, you know, I might challenge that, what you're saying, by saying that it's not because you can't measure it that it didn't improve things, right? As you said, you were in a situation where you had to prove it, right, uh, in order to implement it. But as you said also, you weren't able to track those people that actually didn't fill the form and maybe were happier about their experience, therefore talk to more people about it, therefore more people came by to the website and converted uh, in return. So this is the, the crazy thing about marketing. I believe that you do have sometimes to take ethical decisions or decisions that are based on what you believe in and go against your numbers when you feel that this is the right thing to do. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's, it's a fine line because I also think sometimes people are too focused on data and it almost can stifle creativity. If you think about some of the best things that marketers have ever done are things that they've taken a leap of faith and they've said, you know what? I think this is just the way to do it. You know, like for example, um, I think we should be in content marketing and we should share a lot of great things about our product. Uh, like for example, I'm in a consulting role right now. I've probably blogged about everything I've ever done related to my field, Adobe Analytics. And people will say to me oftentimes, you're crazy. Why are you telling everyone? Because now they're not going to pay you as a consultant. But I've learned that the more I give away, kind of like Rand talked about, the more I give away, the more people trust me and the more they actually come to me. But I think that step changes in any process oftentimes happen in those moments where you're in the shower and you come up with this crazy idea. But I think you could still use data to test out those crazy ideas that you have. But I do, in this situation at Salesforce, I felt like in some cases we may have been too tied to the data. And it wasn't my group. It was the people who we had to convince that maybe if they would have let it go for longer, if they would have just seen the bigger picture. But when they're, they have a quarterly number to hit and they see that people aren't filling out forms, it's kind of hard to argue with that. And that's kind of the good and the bad of of analytics. And I think um, Jason Fried, who I'm a big fan of, you know, he often says, I don't believe in web analytics at all. Um, he's like, listen, I just think that I know what is best because I know what I like and so on. Um, there's areas where I agree with that, but there's areas where if you don't look at the data, you could you may not be representative of your user base. And so I think there's kind of a, a line and I think every company has to balance that line. That's true. Uh, Jason Fried is the co-founder of Basecamp and, uh, they do measure things pretty Intensely, uh, you know, in the episode with DHH, we actually talk about it quite a, uh, for, for a while about numbers. Uh, they do measure stuff. So as you said, it's not, the, the line is blurry. Um, you, it's, it's not either or. You can't just believe in it or not believe in it. You just have to pick your battles sometimes. I, I, I firmly believe that marketing is really emotionally driven. I firmly believe that it's based on, as you said, giving value in order to, in order to be trusted. And you can't really put a number on trust. It's sometimes it's just a matter of doing the right thing over and over and over again. And then it pays off in the long term, right? Um, yep. So if companies really try to hit their quarterly targets all the time, they will miss the bigger picture. The fact that marketing takes years for you to build, that a brand takes years for you to build and that it will just take time. So you yep. need to make, to be, to make, to make peace with it, I suppose. Yep. Exactly. Right. So moving on to, to marketing in general, I think it's a good transition. Um, why do you think marketers have such a bad reputation in general? 
Well, I think, um, you know, when it comes to, I can't speak to all the reasons why marketers have, you know, bad reputation. What I can tell you is on this topic, I think uh, analytics marketers tend to get a bad reputation for a couple of reasons. You know, uh, one, they they don't really listen to what their stakeholders want to know and what are the questions they want to answer. Um, I also think that there's a huge gap in our industry with what I call data quality, where you're tracking things in a web analytics tool, but you're not actually checking to see if the data that you have is right. Um, you know, you talked about attribution issues. Is it first touch? Is it last touch? You know, what if they're using multiple devices? And some analysts will say, no, this is exactly what's happening when they don't really know because people are coming from different devices and they can't, they can't do that. Um, I also think that many um, digital marketers who I work with who are in the analytics space, they spend 90% of their time stuck in their cubicles. Um, I call these people Miltons uh, from the Office Space movie, where they're sitting in their cubicle crunching numbers all day, and they don't actually go out and find out what people want to know. And then they just come back with these boring reports that is just, here's the same report you saw last month with the new numbers. And I think that's what gives kind of digital marketers a bad reputation. And they say, well, here's this number guy. And it's kind of the same thing that happened in, in sports with Moneyball. If you saw, if you've seen the Moneyball movie, how all of the traditional, uh, you know, scouts hated the numbers people because they're like, oh, these are just nerdy people who are coming here to tell numbers. But once they actually got out and talked to the baseball players and started explaining how the numbers helped them and how they applied to them, suddenly they they got on board. So um, I've listened to many of your podcasts and I agree with, you know, most of the things that people are saying in terms of why people uh, hate marketers in general. But I can only really speak to my domain, which is, you know, why do people hate digital analytics people when I interview companies? Yeah, but that's that's what I was asking. So it's, it's a great answer. And to, to, to add to your point, I guess what happens when you focus on, on numbers too much and really forget about the people behind is that is uh, what's called a statistical numbing, right? It's like 10,000 hits on a website doesn't seem like much if you're just used to looking at it every day, but it's actually 10,000 people going through your website. I mean, if you exclude boats and all the stuff like this happening at yep. the minute, but imagine 10,000 people in a stadium in front of you. That's exactly how many, you know, how many people are going through your site every day. I do believe that it changes your perspective on things and spending time with those people face to face or on Skype or on other channels, instead of just looking at numbers, will definitely add, you know, this, this new element to your work as a web analyst or as a digital marketer, right? Exactly. And I'll tell you a funny story that plays right into that. When I was at Salesforce.com, there was a new product that our CEO, Mark Benioff, who's, you know, billionaire, very impressive guy, uh, came up with called Salesforce Chatter. And it was basically when, so when Facebook was re really coming of age, the idea was it was a Facebook for your company. And you could kind of uh, see what post stuff to your your CRM as your feed of what's happening. And they were really gung-ho on it. And it was going to be like the next big product at Salesforce. So they came up with a homepage design that literally was a flash animation if of these chattering teeth that I wish like I had a visual to show your listeners. But it was a really scary flash thing that was just chattering. And it was kind of this idea of chatter. Well, we all looked at it and we were like, wow, these teeth are really ugly. And we're like, this is not going to do well. And we had this really boring homepage that just showed our products. But then suddenly it got taken over with this animation and our bounce rates shot up and our conversion shot down. And like you were saying, these were real people that were coming to our website and being freaked out by these chattering teeth. And we tried to use numbers to convince a bunch of the executives at the company, hey, we got to get this thing off our homepage. And they're like, no, listen, this is Mark's baby. We're not taking this off the homepage. So what we actually did is I used a, a product called fivesecondtest.com and took a screenshot of it and went out to a group of, uh, of people online and took away all of our branding and said, what does this company do? And the, the responses we got back were awesome. They were so comical. Uh, comedy store, uh, dental office. I mean, all these things that had nothing to do with CRM. And I kind of went back to our, to my boss and my boss's boss and said, listen, 
I loved chattering teeth because, you know, I was a suck up and didn't want to get in trouble with Mark. I said, but our customers seem to be confused of what we do here at Salesforce.com once we put these chattering teeth on the homepage. And it, it got them to empathize with our users and said, is this really what you want to convey to them? Because these are real people who are confused. And like you said earlier, the bounce rate didn't seem to make an emotional charge with them. But when they saw the the phrases, the verbatim responses from these people, they they realized, you know what, we do need to tone this down a little bit and, and take that off the homepage. That's a great story, especially from inside Salesforce. Uh, and uh, it further proves the point that if you really want to convince people, especially your the C-suite or your boss, much easier to show, to prove your point with data and actual, you know, people saying something. You know, one of the best ways is to really record videos of people's reactions or what they say. And you only need five or six people, or even sometimes just one to make people change their mind. And as you said before, you can show them numbers for, for ages before they change their mind. But one person or two, two people can really change people's perspective. So thanks for sharing this story. Um, what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, or 50 years? I mean, I think marketers of today have to understand data and know when to use it and all the different tools that are at their disposal. It used to be in the old days that you didn't have to know anything about technology to be a marketer. And I think that ship has sailed. And I actually tell all the young people who I know who are, you know, majoring in business and in college, I say, no matter what you do, you cannot graduate without knowing a little bit about technology. You need to know whether it's JavaScript or some sort of programming because marketing is becoming a technology now. And you have to be able to speak to developers. You've got to be able to quantify what's happening and you've got to be able to see, um, you know, whether it's uh, the JavaScript code. And nowadays, I actually tell marketers they need to focus on learning things like R and Python, because you're going to then have to know how to do a programming language to actually query the data. Um, it's it's not always going to just be nice and neat in these little Google Analytics or Adobe Analytics. You might just have to query raw data stores and join data together. So if I were a young marketer now, um, even though it doesn't sound intuitive, I would be learning a little bit of programming. I'd be learning a little bit about SQL and I'd be learning about APIs. How do I pull data from different sources and merge it all together? And then maybe the tools of the future are going to be more of like the tableaus of the world where you're basically joining data to try to figure out what's happening across different data stores. But just knowing all these tools, uh, it's, it's intimidating and you've got to kind of pick the right ones and know enough to be able to, to be, I call like a technical or a digital marketer. What are the top three resources you would then recommend for people to learn about this concept you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, there's a ton of free resources out there um, for R and Python. Um, one resource, if you are in the analytics space, there is a public Slack group uh, that is called uh, Measure Slack or Hashtag uh, Measure. And basically, there's about 4,000 web analysts that are in there. And if you Google it, there's a web uh, Google form that you fill out. And then uh, some guys who I know will actually look at your form and determine if you're actually in the industry and not just a spammer. And then you will get an ID to Slack and you will now see channels for uh, statistics, um, Adobe Analytics, Google Analytics, data visualization. And so you can post questions and, and have a nice community forum of people to meet and you can communicate one-on-one. -on -one. So that would be one. Um, obviously, as a member of the Digital Analytics Association, I have to put a little plug in. Uh, we do have a lot of training programs. And um, if you're a member, which is only like 200 bucks a year, uh, you can basically go to go to webinars and we've actually created this thing at the DAA, which is kind of cool. We call it the analytics cookbook, where I asked all of my friends to go out and document one web analysis they've done in the past and share it. And we now have 120 web analyses that you can go in and look at. And we're always adding more every week so that if you're at a company and you're just not sure where to start, you can go look at this these recipes and go do that at your company. And then programming, obviously, there's lots of, you know, Code Academy and all those places to go learn R, Python, and JavaScript. 
I, I like this cookbook idea. I need to work on that. I think I have ideas for how to apply it uh, in, in my own business. Um, right, Adam, uh, you've been amazing. Uh, where can people connect with you and learn more, learn more from you? Sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. So just uh, Adam Greco on LinkedIn. I work at Analytics Mystified. Um, I have a blog on our website, uh, but I'll warn you, most of my blog posts uh, are really only relevant to people who use the Adobe Analytics stack, uh, just because that's I was one of the founders of, of Omniture, the company that made that. So uh, tend to focus on that. But um, I also speak at a lot of web analytics conferences. Um, so uh, you'll usually see me around uh, doing trainings or, or speaking out there. So But thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. You're very welcome. Thank you once again. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. And this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email lists uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a, as a one-to-one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always unsubscribe for sure if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet and we always Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, came through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.